Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elcherson. Uh, Adam, my co-host here as well. Adam, say hello. Hello. And our featured guest this week is Victoria Sakel, the Managing Director of Brand Intelligence over at the Morning Consult, for a conversation about the 2020 holiday shopping season. Uh, as we'll be looking to understand how it's changing uh, COVID-19's impact on the holiday shopping season and what this means for brands and marketers. So definitely stick around for that uh, later on in the episode. But before that, Adam, shall we dive into this week's news? Let's talk about the news. So the biggest news uh, of of the week uh, happened Wednesday night. Uh, Quibi is reportedly shutting down. So from Jeffrey Katzenberg's interview with Deadline, uh, we have a quote here that says, there was no question that keeping us going was not going to have a different outcome. It was just going to spend a a whole lot more money without any value to show for it. Well, you know, I think uh, I can't say that this was uh, unexpected. Um, But I think the big question uh, that is floating around the open question is what happens to all of that content now? Um, You know, a lot of the most of the content contracts with the creators uh, was had about a two year expiration date where it would it it would revert to the creators in the meantime. But there is going to be uh, a little bit of a crew still on at Quibi um, trying to, uh, you know, sell that content to other other platforms in order to recoup some of the costs. Um, and, you know, a lot of the content was, uh, even though it was chopped up into 11-minute episodes, it was kind of like, you know, movies and TV shows chopped up into those shorter chunks. Um, so it could be re-edited into longer formats for for other platforms. And I think uh, that's the question that uh, everybody's uh, looking at right now is uh, they, they did spend a lot of money and, and produce a lot of content. So where does all that content go? Especially right now, given that, you know, production had been shut down um, in uh, during, during COVID, uh, there might be other platforms willing to pay up just to have some fresh content uh, to toss to their viewers. Totally. And some of their content, like you said, was good. The Dangerous Game was was fantastic. Uh, I'd be interested to see if other platforms like like a Snapchat uh, or like an Instagram or someplace, maybe even like a Twitter would try and just put that content on their platform to see if that's something uh, that people w- would be interested in watching. Because I know, for example... Snapchat already kind of has some of like, like like that custom discover content. They have Bitmoji stories, you know. They, they have some of like that shorter form of content. Uh, so maybe it, it is just as simple as a, a quick pickup for an, another social platform to see if they can get you know some more traction on it uh, on their platforms. Yeah, I think I think Snapchat is an obvious place for it to go. We've uh, we've speculated uh, that TikTok might uh, be interested in in Quibi style content. So I think yep. that that's an option. It also is open to the traditional, more traditional OTT platforms, right? Um, this was uh, high production value content that could be edited to be, you know, traditional, more traditional lengths. So there's no reason why uh, a Hulu or a Netflix or an Amazon might not uh, pick some of the, the content up as well. I think the larger question is probably about the unscripted content. Um, the scripted mm-hmm. content, I'm pretty sure we'll all find a home somewhere. The unscripted content is a little trickier um, and a, maybe a little trickier to re-edit into, you know, more traditional formats. But to your point, maybe that finds a home uh, on a social platform somewhere. Absolutely. Well, for more information uh, on Quibi and what's going on there, just check Twitter. Uh, that's literally <laughs> the only conversation that is being had had right now. 
And uh, from the ashes of uh, one specific type of uh, streaming service, <laughs> rises another. <laughs> um, with uh, this week, Warner Media has uh, debuted Warner Media Ride, which is a free video service that is exclusively available to smartphones and tablets connected to in-car Wi-Fi uh, via AT&T's unlimited uh, connected car plans. Um, and uh, you know, I think this is this is interesting. I, I think that there may be a little early to this trend. Um, we One thing we talk about a lot when we talk about uh, uh, autonomous vehicles and, and how that will change our behavior is that it will vastly increase media time. And it'll shift right. media time out of the, the audio space, which is, you know, most people, if they have media time in the car now, are listening to music and podcasts and uh, streaming uh, and, and, you know, traditional radio as well, that that will shift to video content, social media, stuff like that. Um, and uh, I, so I definitely think that that will happen. But um, as of right now, you know, making this content exclusively available, uh, or this platform exclusively available to devices connected to the in-car Wi-Fi, oh, it, it seem it just seems like it's it's really limiting the reach of the of the the content, mm-hmm. and that uh, it might even just limit its availability. Because if you're not hyper aware that Warner Media Ride is accessible in your car, will you even think to to download that app and open it? on your your tablet let's say um, as opposed to opening you know hulu or or netflix or whatever uh which you obviously will be aware of because you're also watching it at home mm-hmm. totally but it's it's an interesting experiment i think right thinking about how these companies can kind of future proof for the coming wave like you said of a, a, you know autonomous vehicles or uh just thinking about how they can expand their like their business could be limited in the short run. There is some benefit knowing that, you know, people seem to be wanting to travel by car through like these next few years, just given what's going on with COVID. But I think this is like an interesting experiment in the same way that we look at when, when we were riding in Ubers, you know, how media and brands and technology partners were innovating in the back seat, kind of testing ground for what it would be like to bring entertainment media into a vehicle in which is autonomously driven because all that experience is really happening in the backseat of an Uber. Yeah, you know, I think Uber and Lyft are actually an interesting use case for this and maybe a better way to market this to consumers because part of the the challenge here is that it's not like you choose your data provider for your your vehicle. Those are actually chosen at the manufacturer level uh, for the most part. Um, And so consumers aren't really comparison shopping AT&T versus Verizon for their car. Um, So, you know, which makes this offering a little bit of a weird differentiator. It is a little bit of an effort to make a super bundle of content content and data, but at a point of of integration where the consumer is not really making the choice. However, if uh, you know this is something that a lot of vehicles do have access to, and Uber and Lyft are able to say, "Hey, you get access to this Warner Media content in the back of this vehicle," that might prioritize you to upgrade to a, you know a, a higher tier of vehicle um, in order to get access to that content. And I, I am you know the content right now is things like Cartoon Network, CNN, TBS, TNT, Bleacher Report, um, Boomerang. But HBO Max content will be coming in 2021. So, you know, knowing that HBO Max content is coming, obviously, if you, uh, you know, maybe if you don't subscribe to HBO, but you want to uh, watch catch up on Lovecraft Country or The Vow, uh, and you have an hour long Uber someplace, maybe that would influence uh, which vehicle you chose from Uber. It's an interesting development. We'll see how it how, how it plays out. 
But next up, we have our last bit of news here from Facebook, uh, that Facebook is testing the Messenger API support uh, for Instagram messages. So essentially, they're just bringing their customer support system that is currently on Messenger uh, and bringing that into Instagram. So we know a lot of conversation happens in the DMs of Instagrams and an increasing number of that conversation is business related, whether that's reaching out to an influencer or a small business uh, or you know a D2C brand. You know, a, a lot of that customer support does now happen across these social channels. So it seems like Facebook is just looking to really make uh, the enterprise suite more available uh, and more accessible to both businesses and consumers uh, to kind of help kind of grow that traction of you know businesses being on the Facebook platform and across these different channels. Yeah. And in, in other Facebook news, they are also adding, uh, rolling out these sh- previously announced shopping features um, that had been announced for for WhatsApp, um, which mm-hmm. will also include um, some hosting of sort of microsites that will live inside uh, the app. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, carries uh, some, some fees for businesses to be able to transact on WhatsApp, which is uh, the first uh, time that we've seen something uh, like that from Facebook, um, considering that Instagram shops and Facebook shops are uh, really you're you're paying them a commission as part of the checkout process, but otherwise, um, you know, otherwise free. And uh, you know, I think they they assume that a certain percentage of those shops will be using the advertising products on the platform, so they don't feel a need to charge for mm-hmm. them. It's interesting to see that they will be charging inside of WhatsApp, which obviously has um, really no integrated advertising, which is I'm assuming why there is a fee to use these features on that platform. Adam, do you think that there's like a pivot for Facebook to be more like business first than let's say like social first? Because it seems like that's an area of opportunity for them to kind of like continue to grow. Because uh, depending on where you are in the world, like obviously like the US is different than like the global markets for Facebook. But it seems like in general, like Facebook proper is losing that social first conversation that that is being ported to like Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, TikTok and these other platforms. And this is kind of becoming more of like an enterprising solution where people can go and conduct business versus, you know, having like that social interaction. It's an interesting idea. I think it it, it certainly would help a lot of the uh, public perception problems that Facebook has if it became more like Amazon and less like Facebook. Um, but I... I also think that if you asked Mark Zuckerberg, you know, where he saw Facebook in 10 years, I think it would be more social and not less social. Uh, I right. sincerely doubt that they would consciously step away from uh, from uh, being a social platform, certainly as long as Zuckerberg is in charge, which is probably going to be forever. Right. Something interesting to kind of think about, you know, as we see how and what ways uh, social platforms shift through through time. Yeah, I mean the other the other piece, small piece of Facebook news that that came out is that they are testing um, a feature designed to help you connect with your neighbors, a la uh, Nextdoor, um, which uh, you know Nextdoor has been around for a long. Yeah, Nextdoor has been around for a long time, and actually, it's kind of interesting that it uh, has taken now and until now for Facebook to uh, realize that they could obviously offer a similar. platform. Um, but Nextdoor is, uh, got a big boost because of the pandemic and lots of folks uh, needing and wanting to connect with their neighbors. And so they've been eyeing uh, uh, options for going public. Uh, and it's, uh, of course, interesting that that seems to have gotten Facebook's attention um, and that they're they're looking at those options. So, you know, as, as easy as it is to say that, yes, Facebook is obviously prioritizing commerce and leaning into those features and building out those features. Um, I think that that's, that's just one line of product development at the company and they're they're definitely still developing new new social features as well so i think that is going to wrap up the news this week adam any last uh comments or anything that, that we missed this week 
Just one thing. The last, I think, major news story that that came up this week, at least at at the time of recording, uh, is that uh, the U.S. uh, Justice Department has filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google, um, you know, alleging that they're acting anti-competitively to preserve uh, uh, a monopoly in search and search advertising. This is obviously something that we will be watching very closely, but uh, it is expected that this case will, obviously nothing is happening immediately. It's expected the case might take as much as uh, 18 months. So uh, this is more of a long-term thing. Obviously, I think this will be affected by the election. And uh, you know, if, if there is a, a change in the administration and a change in the Justice Department, that could, this all might uh, be moot in a couple of weeks. Uh, so um, obviously, you know, we're all of the, the, governmental regulation of tech is something that we watch very closely and we try to bring it to you when it is relevant. Um, but as of right now, uh, just something to know about and uh, not necessarily something to to act on. Well, that is going to wrap up the news for this week. Uh, and now we're going to head on into the main part of the conversation where we'll, we'll be talking to Victoria Sakel, the managing director at the Morning Consult, for a conversation about the 2020 holiday shopping season. <music> All right, listeners, uh, and welcome to this week's main discussion. Uh, So, Victoria, welcome to Floor 9. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the show. Um, And before we begin, can you just give us a little background about yourself and what you do over at The Morning Consult? Sure thing. Doing a lot of things these days, actually. This year has, (laughs) um, has kept us all very busy but particularly, I, my first day with the company was actually the day that America went into lockdown. Okay. So my the job I thought I was walking into um, ended up having an entirely new brief. <laughs> um, my role at Morning Consult really in the brand world is thinking about how marketers and decision makers um, are making their decisions and mm-hmm. what data or research would be helpful to them as they think about changing a consumer environment um, where their brands are showing up more broadly as, as we see lines between the economy and politics, as well as brands and consumption starting to blur. Um, what can we as a company really put out there mm-hmm. that's not only thought leadership, but also either provocative or especially helpful around those topics that matter most? Absolutely. And uh, starting a new job at the, at, at the start of the pandemic, um, if the job description had does well with ambiguity or is a self-starter, my goodness, they really put that one to the test for you, uh, throwing you right into the fire with a, uh, you know, essentially a pandemic. Um, but thank you for that, for that, for that background. And that's why I think we're super excited to have you on here is just giving your experience, you know, thinking about brands and how brands kind of uh, should be operating during this time frame. And so... I just want to dive right into your your report that you had put out, and I want to start with the holiday themselves. So are people still planning on celebrating the holidays? Are the holidays still happening this year? And if they are, in, in what ways are they starting to change a little bit? First thing is that Americans are still going to be celebrating their holidays, <laughs> especially when we think about the big ones. Thankfully, Christmas and Thanksgiving are not falling off of the radar. We see a little bit of a lapse in um, anticipated celebrating or, or you know, recognition mm-hmm. and spending time or money around Halloween. But even still, as you know, the candy makers and manufacturers are seeing to be the case. Even if people are buying candy themselves, uh, they're still looking for something in these final months of what's been a purely crazy year <laughs> to either kind of relieve stress yep. or, or provide something to look forward to. So the first thing is definitely will be celebration. That said, they will look different this year. And part of that looks 
um, different in the virtual versus in-person sense. Mm -hmm. So we do see, first of all, with travel being something people are increasingly concerned about or hesitant to do, there'll be less of it. So, you know, closer in and more immediate family members or in your local vicinity. But at the same time, um, people are just nervous, of course, around being around people from the health perspective. So that's kind of the biggest overarching impact on how this holiday season will look. Gotcha. So similar to working from home, all of that is just going to essentially translate into how families will be spending their time. A lot of Zoom, a lot of virtual events, but uh, if there is a family event, maybe smaller gatherings, you know, closer immediate families, things of that nature. Spot on. Uh, There's, of course, going to be an element of large family gatherings and family gatherings canceled altogether. We're also seeing that more and more people themselves either saying that my, you know, holidays are shifting virtual or shifting to smaller sizes, or I know someone who has totally canceled their, you know, holiday plans or their holiday travel plans. Those numbers are slowly starting to tick up since we started tracking this in September. But knowing that I think Thanksgiving is going to be the next holiday on the docket here, are we still going to see some people going back and forth uh, maybe in cars or planes, trains and automobiles? What is that looking like? Most Americans don't plan on traveling for Thanksgiving, okay. um, which has real interesting implications for uh, you know the holiday itself is built around the meal and the large right. festive meal with family. So of course, all of the, the brands and companies who are usually key to that holiday are thinking about implications there. But yeah, from the travel perspective, we still see most Americans are not comfortable with, of course, public transportation, with the amount of people that are probably traditionally passing through that. They're not comfortable with flying. Um, But the one thing that they tend to be most comfortable with is traveling by car, by their own car, Mm -hmm. um, to be clear, because the ride sharing part is also something they're not comfortable with. Um, And so this has manifested in recent months, particularly over the summer with people taking road trips or kind of creating weekends, either staycations or close to home trips just to escape and get a you know, change of scene or a little bit of adventure. Um, but people being able to travel within their vicinity in the car that they trust mm-hmm. and they own and, you know, they know who's driving <laughs> or even breathing the air and yep. um, to go see the, you know, relatives who live close enough by nearby. Um, it's definitely going to be a key theme. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and I have here from the report, 75% of Americans don't plan on traveling for this holiday season. So uh, again, another large portion of, of the U.S. population. Uh, but we think about like the vehicle and in-car, it's like, I think that like that really creates an opportunity for in-car media, you know, thinking about being on platforms like your Spotify's, your Pandora's, you know, ra- traditional radio advertising, uh, podcasting specifically, I mean, all of that media and content that you consume while on the go, uh, I think is, is a very interesting place to be thinking about, you know, where to put brand messaging in this holiday season, just knowing that that is the one mode of transportation uh, that seems people are going to be comfortable with if they do plan on traveling. Definitely. We've seen the podcast usage go up as well. And, and you know, as people, sorry, not podcast usage, Spotify and music listening music usage as people are working from home. The podcast usage, um, if there's kind of an interesting trade off where people aren't commuting anymore but they are kind of using it either as filler while they're working to kind of have something other than music to listen to, or if they're taking a walk or kind of wanting to stay in touch with the news. But to your point exactly, there's this idea of music, then there's podcasts, and there's even audio books. And how do you fill the space and become a part of that holiday experience, even if it's just, you know, flying, or, sorry, not flying, <laughs> not, and not, flying. not traveling on a train, but you're <laughs> driving, <laughs> driving in your car. Absolutely. 
how is that going to then translate into gift giving? You know, are we going to see more virtual gifts, deliveries as at, at, at a higher rate of interest? Um, kind of what is some of that data telling us? The interesting duality around the delivery component is people are definitely concerned and still feeling a little burned about either out of stocks or slow delivery back from March, okay. and, you know, the onset of the pandemic. But at the same time, to your point, exactly, people are shifting to needing to deliver or just send gifts. So um, instead of being able to go to the store and hand wrap and, you know, hand deliver the gifts, um, that certainly is an element. And that's where we see um, online, of mm-hmm. course, making that a lot easier. You're shopping online <laughs> and can just, you know, click and send it to whatever address instead of having to worry about the shipping yourself. Right. Um, but that, there, of course, are implications around delays and timelines around how early you need to start thinking about your gift giving and gift sending, knowing that uh, the last couple of months could get unpredictable. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, I think this year's really proven to uh, show the importance of logistics in a, in a business's uh, overall structure. Um, if Amazon is having trouble with getting deliveries on time, and I say like they're probably the leader in the space, uh, it goes to so kind of just how important that sector uh, of a business really, really is. Definitely. And consumer expectations are starting to kind of take those into account, again, with their calculations around where they'll trust. So that's where we see online marketplaces being a real um, strong kind of vote of confidence Mm -hmm. from consumers in that they they probably know the brands and they probably trust that maybe Amazon will not be two-day delivery, but it'll probably get there. Whereas some of these newer retailers who maybe are just setting up their e-commerce infrastructure and their delivery logistics there might be a less comfort or confidence mm-hmm. that things will get there when they say they get there. Again, meaning the implications for where people are choosing to shop and also the timeline against which when people are starting to shop and thinking about sending gifts. Yeah, that is that is super interesting. And I know uh, specifically, you know, in part of your report, you, you were talking about how people, you know, actually shop and there has been a shift towards, um, like online? About half of the population, so about 48% of Americans planning to do most of their holiday shopping online, they'll, again, be heavily leaning into these online marketplaces where we see 79, 78%, kind of somewhere in that range that we're continuing to watch this as the numbers kind of update, but we'll be leaning into those online marketplaces like Amazon, even Walmart's latest online presence. When we think about these like consumer expectations. One of the things that I think a trend that we've been seeing is throughout all of COVID-19, a lot of, you know, consumer loyalty or brand loyalties is, is up for grabs essentially. And, you know, have you seen any data just like kind of like supporting that of like when consumers are looking to start their gift um, shopping, are they open to exploring new brands? Uh, You know, what does that look like? The loyalty topic is one of my favorites around this whole situation. (laughs) We've looked at this in a couple of different angles. So first, um, even before thinking about the holiday season, we looked at this in the context of loved brands and you know whether people were flocking to the brands that were big and known and established and theoretically you know the ones that people are most loyal to over time. And then even on a generational level, how does that look for, for example, Gen Z? Um, so a couple of highlights there are across all the population, so all generations, we see that, yes, there is this element of nostalgia or trust, really, um, for the big brands that you've known to be part of your life or that has been there in the moments either during your childhood or during college, maybe, or 
you know, when you had lower income and, you know, you were just starting out and the brands you could afford then, those are seeing this kind of momentum. You're also seeing that um, people at the same time are kind of relying on whatever's on the shelf. So sometimes that means trying new brands by choice uh, because it's an exciting part of your day to pick a new bag of chips or, you know, a new (laughs) type of candy uh, to, you know, relieve your stress at the end of the day. Um, or just because literally the brand that you might prefer is out of stock. Okay. So this less um, constrained approach to buying, the, you know, ne- needing to go to those given brands is definitely been forced really in a lot of ways in the last couple of months. Um, but then when you think about younger generations, there's this idea of I am, you know, almost definitionally not brand loyal. I like to keep my options open and explore either the latest or the most recommended or potentially something better. But you have the same duality there as well, where they're going to also be flocking to those trusted brands that they've known and loved or that their parents have recommended and kind of put into their portfolio of brands, if you will. Now, how this looks for the holiday season is kind of pretty consistent with both of those um, sides of the coin that we were just talking about. So you'll see that, as we said, Online marketplaces, those big brands that uh, when we ask people even, you know, just kind of unaided recall, as we call it, what comes top of mind to um, as far as the stores that you'll be buying from, it's those big brands, the Amazons, the Walmart, the Kohl's even that are just always there. But at the same time, people express that they'll be more open to trying new brands um, as they have been. We've been tracking this on a biweekly basis since March. Uh, people more and more are just trying new brands. And again, whether that's excitement or whether it's because of what's available, we do expect to see some of that openness continuing into the holiday season. Super interesting. And I think that the, the stat you had in the report is that about 50, 51% of U.S. holiday shoppers this year are looking to explore a new brands. So that's not like a small majority. That is a large portion of the shopping population that is out there uh, open to the opportunity, like you, like you said, whether uh, by force or just willingness to try a brand new product or or a brand of a product that you're interested in. And for me, this looks like this is really an opportunity. Uh, if I guess taking aside the logistics issue and, and the out of stock issues from like a, like a positioning and a messaging standpoint for brands, you know, really focusing on like, like product benefits, but as well as like education seems to be like, like a top priority to either like retain your market share or grow it with consumers that are, you know, re- really open and willing to give your product a try. That's exactly. I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a classic marketing mm-hmm. um, approach. And, you know, you, you communicate <laughs> with the relevance. Exactly. You, you've got the relevance in terms of whatever people are going through, whether that's emotionally or um, you know, in terms of the financial situation that many of us are facing this moment in time. Mm-hmm. And then you pair that with this openness and realizing, you know, kind of the key insight is that people are open more than usual to trying new brands, whether by choice or by you know, circumstances, then it becomes how do you show up as a brand by meeting mm-hmm. those needs that you know that are had um, by, you know, delivering on kind of the functional elements of whether it's a gift or a pasta brand. And then from there, it becomes how do you nurture that relationship? Right. So it's not just a one off and then they move on to the next good communicator <laughs> or interesting pasta brand, but um, that you can kind of keep them in your fold and help nurture that relationship over time. Absolutely. And I and I think part of this conversation is also that share of wallet. Um, you know, really how much are 
consumers this holiday shopping season looking to spend? I mean, have we seen any like reductions in you know potential spending on gifts or holiday shopping? Is it kind of is is it flat year over year? Um, what is like what what is the data showing us just from like you know this willingness to spend over these holiday seasons? This angle is something we're looking at also from a broader econ macro angle okay. with our econ intelligence. Um, share of wallet is something we're thinking about a lot, especially as not at this moment, but you know, there were stimulus packages and people getting checks and, and how that money is being spent. Right. And then secondly, if people are not traveling and they're saving money, what are they dealing with? How does that right. share of wallet um, kind of distribution change? So a couple of things you see on that front are first people who are not traveling and are saving money in that regard. Most of them, a very strong majority of them actually plan to just save it, Interesting, which is something we also saw with the stimulus checks that, you know, you've got some starting businesses, some spending more on necessary expenses, some, you know, infusing it back into the economy as they were hoped to do, right. but a lot of people saving it. But at the same time, in terms of gift spending and how much people plan to spend, what we see in kind of the September months when we started tracking this was that more gift giving will shift to the lower end of the spectrum. So when we think about one, mm. $200 total for gifts, okay. uh, now we're starting to see that change a little bit, but it's a bit more nuanced among higher incomes where higher incomes are feeling more comfortable on surprisingly perhaps to be <laughs> spending, spending more. <laughs> more heading into the holiday season. Yeah. But in general, we'll see um, probably a downsizing of how much okay. people are spending and whether that's because of, just seeing less people and having to give less, less gifts or financial pressure or just the choices of the products they're purchasing, we'll probably see some of that downsizing. Interesting. To just kind of think about the holiday shopping more broadly, it seems like this year it has been it's been shifted up a few weeks. Uh, notably, Amazon Prime Day kicked off on the 13th and 14th this year. Um, do we think Prime Day is the reason why we're starting to see this entire holiday shopping season kind of move more towards fall? Uh, you know, why, for example, are the stores now having Christmas trees in them in the middle of October when Halloween hasn't even happened yet? Um, like what, like what, like what's going on there? You have, have any insights into that one? It's a little painful to see the holidays <laughs> already. I mean, Halloween is one thing, but seeing Christmas lights everywhere, yeah. it, it doesn't feel quite right. But to your point, exactly. Amazon was onto something with um, you know, it really stemmed from delaying prime days from the summer, but picking the when they did, there was a real understanding of consumers, first of all, um, concerns around delays and, you know, trying to spread out demand as well. So there's kind of the strategic and, um, frankly, just circumstantial sensitivity right. that with starting, you know, you're putting prime days when they did and kind of kicking off the holiday season as it is. But at the same time, of course, Amazon is thinking if they can kind of get out front and potentially pull some of that demand from other retailers to them to, you know, spend on their product. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, other retailers have that by the same token have really capitalized on the week and in the moment as well with their own deals and days and have been actually quite um, interesting in far, as far as their communications of, you know, whether it's a cadence of every week will announce the latest deal mm -hmm. or, you know, for this upcoming week, you have, um, our version of, you know, your holiday sales. But as we start to see this convergence of online versus offline and really moving people to that online e-commerce um, opportunity at this time, that's where people are just shopping when they can. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, banking on delivery 
um, hopefully happening without delays. But the more that retailers can have a sense of when demand is happening, smooth it out, manage their inventory and supply chains without this mad rush late November into the holiday month, um, the better for them. Right. And we know, for example, like Amazon has is one of those kind of like bigger box stores. You can kind of put them under that category that we mentioned earlier on the show that uh, it seems like people are going to be spending more in that type of retail environment. Um, but the estimate numbers from the Prime Day, it seemed to be up year over year, about 50% from, it was like $6.2 billion last year to now about $10.4 billion. So are you looking at this as a positive indication that, yes, holiday spend uh, is on track to you know maybe be flat year over year more generally? Or is this more looking at that the money is just going to be funneling into like these bigger retailers again? And this is a, an, another proof point that, yes, you know, Target, Walmart, Amazon, the big players are going to benefit benefit the most this year. Amazon is interesting because in some ways people could be, you know, to our earlier conversation around trying new brands mm -hmm. and new products. Um, in some ways, the things being offered by Amazon on Prime Day could be a manifestation of that. Okay. Um, but at the same time, yes, you have this idea that if people are kicking off their holiday shopping, um, it's kind of like, why not now if Amazon is having these great deals, if they're coupling that with a potential sensitivity around how much they will be spending or they're trying to budget mm -hmm. um, on a weekly or monthly or holiday season basis. Um, if there's discounts and deals happening, especially again on Amazon, who you trust as a brand, who you know will eventually get your product delivered, yep. why not? Um, but it's kind of a convergence of a few of these different themes mm -hmm. we're seeing. And I, I would expect that, you know, and other estimates have seen this just as much as ours, that the holiday season is not going to come to a halt this year. Right. It's more a matter of, as you mentioned earlier, how do you position your brand to be meeting this unique holiday season and the emotions people are feeling and right. the excitement they might be feeling for some moment of relief and time off from their house that they've already been <laughs> living in and their work from home jobs. But still, you know, a change of, a change of pace and something to look forward to. Um, so it's, it's consumers um, are open to that mm. and open to, again, as you said, to new brands, um, products, et cetera, how it becomes how do retailers and how do the brands themselves infuse themselves into this moment and create the demand and sustain it now over probably, I guess, three acts a month that they're used right. to if they were only focusing on, you know, a month or so previously. Yeah. But as you're looking at all of this consumer behavior and you have all this interesting data on like how people will spending, where they're going to be spending, um, what are some kind of like brand takeaways and things that you've been thinking about, you know, that marketers, brands, clients uh, should kind of think about as they head into this holiday season? Because uh, generally we, we know 4Q is huge. Uh, it is sometimes the most expensive time to buy advertising, I mean, advertisements and media. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of sales that happen in 4Q. Like 4Q is a big time for a lot of brands. So, uh, do you have any insights into kind of how brands should be thinking and, you know, some, some brand takeaways for this holiday season? Sure. Because beyond just in general, Q4 being massive this year, it's especially critical for a lot of retailers who saw sales really come to a halt, especially right. when the pandemic kicked off. And, you know, as people found other things to do or ways to spend their money in over the last few months. Um, a couple of key things strategically to keep in mind as a brand are first, when it comes to those communications and how you're messaging and interacting with your consumers, first, um, you know, any of what our research has shown to be the case now, you want to sense check and make sure that for your given target, for your given even, you know, regional or, or very specific MSA that you're advertising to, the reality on the ground could be different. Okay. So that could be due to a recent outbreak. It could be due to 
for whatever reason, extreme <laughs> optimism. But, you know, you want to bear that in mind. But that said, we do see that around the holiday season, what people are looking for in advertising is, is divergence from the empathy and the sympathy that kind of droned on at the start of the pandemic, but more about utility and a little bit of entertainment or optimism or kind of hope for the season. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily, you know, a true deep reminder about what the season's about. But it's celebrating, you know, the good parts of life, that we have something to look forward to. We have a fun product, maybe, that, you know, (laughs) is a great gift or something that your family would enjoy. Um, So, you know, balancing that tone with the reality that marketing is marketing. And we've seen this over the last couple months come to bear that consumers know that. They know you're trying to probably sell them something. So if you want to infuse a little entertainment or levity, go for it. It'll probably only help with the resonance. Um, but that's from the kind of communication standpoint. And then the other element is the experience that you're able to deliver as a brand. This goes back to the point we were talking about earlier. How do you maintain a relationship mm-hmm. beyond just the holiday season point of sale? Right. But especially as those points of sale we go are going increasingly online, it becomes how do you make sure that things are easily navigable and that your website is intuitive and that um, you know, it's hopefully not breaking, but that the products that you're selling in store are also showing up online and then are showing up <laughs> on the doorstep of whoever ordered them. Um, but this is a critical moment to really just be able to execute across your different channels, mm-hmm. not only in terms of media channels, but also the retail side as well. Um, Victoria, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you on Floor 9. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Uh, what's the best place to reach out? Twitter, LinkedIn, email? LinkedIn is where you'll find all of my content as well as uh, my page on Morning Consult's website. You can also, of course, follow me on Twitter. Um, and I would encourage any questions or ideas or you know, provocations around anything we discussed today or anything we didn't get to for many of your listeners. Fantastic. Uh, And listeners, of course, check our show notes. Uh, We'll make sure to add her Twitter handle and a link to uh, the report that we discussed on this week's episode. Uh, So, Victoria, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks and happy holidays. Thanks for taking them off Happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, that is our show this week. As always, you can find me on Twitter at T-I-P-P-I-E-R, or you can follow Adam at Adam J. Simon, uh, or you can follow the lab uh, at our social handles for Instagram and Twitter are at IPG Lab. Uh, So as always, thank you, and we'll talk to you next week.